Welcome to Clear Thinking, a GPS for the Christian mind, teaching you how to think, not just what to think. This is Joe Aguirre with theologian and philosopher Kenneth Samples and physicist Dave Rogstad on today's podcast, How to Read for Lifelong Learning. Again, I know this is a favorite topic of yours, and I'm sure our listeners appreciate your insights on it as well. Yeah, clear thinking really focuses on things like logic and learning and life of the mind. And of course, reading is uh, a critical part of learning. And uh, I have come to believe, Joe and Dave, that maybe the most important education is to become a lifelong learner. So I want to talk a little bit about reading in the context of that. And uh, I've got some really good people to introduce uh, you to when it comes to uh, reading and learning. So I'm looking forward to this show. Wonderful. Uh, Ken, I have a question right off the bat uh, for people who are feeling a sense of guilt. That is, <laughs> they uh, stare at their devices too long, as I'm sure I do. And maybe you guys would admit that as well. Um, I wonder if you might make a comment on that, that, uh, you know, it's not hopeless. You can put the phone down and, and still read a, a physical book, or maybe you're going to get into that as we go. But any, in any case, that question is on my mind. Yeah, that's, that's a very important point. Uh, Mortimer Adler, who, of course, is one of the great educators of the 20th century and uh, with his colleague Charles Van Doren, wrote that remarkable book, How to Read a Book. You know, it's never too late. Uh, it's never too late to do a lot more reading. Um, a lot of people these days, of course, read a lot online, and uh, we're involved in things like social media and and the internet. Um, I will tell you that I've looked at a number of the tests that compare uh, reading physical books with reading digital books. And uh, the message typically is this, that reading physical books is great for memory and comprehension. Now, of course, uh, there are benefits to uh, eBooks and there's benefits to you know, getting online. Uh, a lot of times eBooks are inexpensive. And of course you can, uh, I, I'm sitting in my office here at Reasons to Believe surrounded by 3000 physical books. I have about 2,000 more at home. It's at times it's uh, it's hard to house all those books. So there a lot of people like uh, eBooks, but I agree with you, Joe. I think there's a time to unplug. And uh, I've written a couple articles for reflections where I talk about the benefits of reading physical books and getting into the habit of reading. But I like where you're 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 starting us off with, and, and that is uh, all of us probably don't read enough. All of us have, uh, uh, you know, uh, holes in our education, or uh, maybe we're not diligent enough, but uh, that's what clear thinking is all about, trying to encourage people, get get some of the best books available. So uh, thank you for that. That's, uh, I want to encourage all of our, our folks. And of course, reading doesn't mean you you can't do other things, uh, but I want to encourage people to, to take it seriously. So let me begin by asking a question that I, I think is a very important one, and that is how important is reading in becoming 
in becoming an educated, wise, and thoughtful person. How important is reading in becoming an educated, wise, and thoughtful person? Well, uh, many of the educators that I respect and admire, uh, they say that reading is, is the foundational discipline to all fields of study. Uh, for example, one educator that I really appreciate is a man named E.D. Hirsch, uh, last, last name H-I-R-S-C-H. And of course, he wrote a book that uh, with two colleagues um, entitled The New Dictionary of Cultural Literacy, subtitle What Every American Needs to Know. It's gone through multiple editions. Um, this, is, uh, this is what Hirsch says about reading. He says, we all know that reading is the most important academic discipline, the most important academic discipline. And by the way, Hirsch is a educator who has a great deal of interest and compassion in uh, children being educated, particularly poor children, particularly children who may uh, be ethnic minorities. He, he, in his career, has done a great deal to essentially argue that maybe the best way of uh, bringing equality to people who uh, who maybe don't have, maybe are limited uh, in where they start out in life, Hirsch says that educating people will give them uh, the opportunity to, to succeed in life. And of course, um, there was a article I wrote a number of years ago entitled, uh, Home libraries can set a child's mind on fire. I, I'd like to encourage our listeners to go on the RTB site and track that article down because it was, a, it was an incredible 20-year study. And I won't give you a lot of the details. I will just say that uh, one of the main points is that a, how, a home with lots of books uh, can really give... Uh, children an advantage in life. In fact, uh, they argued that uh, having lots of books in the home was is probably equal to the parents both having graduate degrees. Won't say any more, I'll let you move to that. Let me uh, just comment. I think in addition to having the books, I think it's critically important that parents read the books to children when they're, they're younger. I mean, my kids just, you know, thrived on their mom reading to them and me reading to them at various stages. Even when they were able to read themselves, uh, I, I remember one uh, book, of course, or series of books that we read that just got them all excited was reading The Lord of the Rings to them. Wow. And, uh, you know, I'd put in sound effects and, <laughs> and different voices and so on, and we had a lot of fun but they are, you know, when they were eight, 10, 12 years old, just loved it and then went and read, read it themselves later. And, and what's interesting in the article that I wrote, Home Libraries Can Set a Child's Mind on Fire, is there is a question there. The question is, is it the books in the home or is it the parents' influence? And obviously, if parents are educated, they're going to gravitate toward books but I completely agree. I read the Chronicles of Narnia at least part to uh, my kids, and um, they're you know they're still reading Lewis today. And yes, uh, my daughters are in their thirties. My son's in the late twenties. 
Well, let me mention uh, a couple challenges here. Uh, Edie Hirsch and other educators talk about three types of illiteracy, three types. There's functional illiteracy, cultural illiteracy, and what they call a-literacy. Functional illiteracy means that, of course, uh, children can't read effectively, and that needs to be addressed. Cultural literacy is they may be able to read, but they're not exposed to a breadth of a good cultural education. Then, of course, a-literacy is a really interesting idea. Uh, these are people who can read, but they don't. So one of the books I want to recommend along the way is to take a look at this uh, uh, book by Hirsch, two other authors, Ket and Treffel, The New Dictionary of Cultural Literacy. I love it. Uh, it starts off with uh, the Bible. It, it includes so many particular areas, science, philosophy, history, uh, a great book. Now, of course, uh, I want to introduce again Mortimer Jerome Adler. Adler is, in my mind, maybe the most educated person of the 20th century. I mean, after all, he uh, edited the great books of the Western world, um, which is an, an incredible set. And uh, this is what he says about, re about learning and reading. He says, very pithy, reading is learning. Reading is learning. Now, I want to introduce you to another Christian thinker. I'm sure some of you already know him. He is the uh, Christian educator, Gene Edward Veith, last name V-E-I-T-H. Dr. Veith is a Lutheran, uh, I think Missouri Synod Lutheran. He is an educator, uh, prolific author. He has lots of books on the web. He has a couple books on postmodernism, which is really uh, important for the time in which we're living. But I'm going to draw your attention to an article that Veith wrote back in 2003. So, wow, it's been 20 years ago. But I remember uh, I picked it up and uh, uh, I've used some of it in some of the books that I've written. But in those days, uh, Dr. Veith, who is the provost and professor of literature emeritus at Patrick Henry College, in those days, he was the cultural editor for World Magazine. By the way, another one that I want to recommend, uh, I like World Magazine. I think they're straight shooters. Um, I, I like it because it's, it's brief and to the point. I also like it because I really like their editor, and he gave positive reviews to two of my books, so he's got to be good if, uh, if he's done that. Well, Veith wrote an article 20 years ago entitled Flex the Brain. This is, again, World Magazine, November 2003. And uh, Veith introduces us to, to three points that I think are, are really significant when it, when it comes to reading. And again, let me give you one more book by Veith. He has a book entitled Loving God with All of Your Mind, subtitle, Thinking as a Christian in the postmodern world. That's a book you want to get. That's a book you want to get. Again, he's a conservative Lutheran, uh, longtime educator. Uh, he's very concerned about many of the things we're concerned about, and that is, where is America going educationally, morally, spiritually? Uh, but guys, Veith introduces us to three points uh, about reading that he considers to be critical 
I want to introduce those ideas, talk a little bit about them, and then compare and contrast what Mortimer Adler has to say about them. But those three points that Vith makes about reading are, number one, read actively, read actively. Two, read worldviewishly, read worldviewishly. And then the third point he makes is read quality books, read quality books. So guys, before we dive into those three points, um, anything you want to comment or say at this point, questions, perspectives? Could you uh, give the name of the book that uh, Veith wrote that you recommended? Yes, Dave, he has a couple books on postmodernism, but here is the one I'm recommending. Loving God with All of Your Mind, subtitle, Loving God with All Your Mind, subtitle, Thinking as a Christian in the Postmodern World. Got it. Okay. Joe, any comments before we dive in? No, sounds good. All right. Let's look at that first um, principle that he talks about in, in guiding our reading. He says to, to read actively, and this is what he says, quote, readers should not read passively. As our cultural, as our current media culture conditions us to do, active reading is staying in charge of the process, interacting with the author, thinking about what is being said, critically evaluating what is going on, contemplating what, what it all means, and sorting out the good from the bad is vital. Well, I, I love this idea because uh, I don't know about you. There are times when I'm reading, particularly late at night, I, I notice I fall into the passive role. Uh, I'm just reading the words before my eyes. I'm not, I'm not actively engaging. That was one of the reasons when I was a younger student, when I was a younger man, I decided to do most of my reading very early in the morning because I noticed that when I read late at night, I just, the brain power wasn't there. I was fatigued. Well, um, here's my analogy, um, and I really owe this to Adler from reading Adler and from reading Veith. I think about active reading with a baseball analogy, and the baseball analogy is a pitcher and a catcher. Uh, you know, the writer, um, uh, the, the writer is the pitcher, the reader is the catcher. And I discovered many years ago when I played baseball, I played some high school baseball. And then after high school, I played what they call semi-pro ball. It was non-professional baseball. I was never good enough to get a, a professional contract, but I loved the game and I still love the game. And I discovered as it, when I started catching, I used to think about catching as being very passive, just sit back there and you know the pitcher does all the work. Well, that's not the case. A pitcher and a catcher, they need to communicate with each other. A catcher is also active. Uh, so again, my analogy, the pitcher uh, is, is the writer, the catcher is the reader, and they have to cooperate. They have to engage. So you want to stay away from passivity. If you start reading in a very passive way, you're not going to get a great deal out of that book. And so what does he mean by staying in charge of the process? interacting with the author, thinking about what is being said. Well, here is, again, uh, asking questions. You should be asking questions as you're reading. 
you should be, you should have a pencil. I like a pencil rather than a pen because I can erase and I can write neatly with a pencil. Outlining arguments, maybe key vocabulary. Um, what I like to do is I like to write notes in the margin of my books. And then in the early part of the book, uh, near the, near the um, cover or near the back of the book, there's usually uh, pages that are empty. I'll start a list of the key ideas that I'm learning here. So engaging means interacting, asking questions. What are the, what's the key vocabulary? What are the key arguments? Uh, and then of course, think it through, draw an evaluation, uh, you know, see if, see if you agree with, with what is being said. So thinking about what is being said, critically evaluating what's going on, contemplating uh, and sorting out the good from the bad. Now, uh, Adler and Van Doren in their book, How to Read a Book, they heartily agree. Uh, here's a quotation from Adler and Van Doren. They say, ask questions while you read, questions that you yourself must try to answer in the course of the reading. So Adler and Van Doren say, look, you're, you're investigating what's going on. You're, you're, as you're reading, you, you should be asking fundamental questions. And so I think that is a, a very important point that uh, that Vith is getting us to. And again, it's easy to fall back into the passivity rather than being active. Now, of course, to do that kind of reading, it takes time and it takes effort. And um, if you're going to really get a great deal out of a book, you're going to have to put the effort in. Uh, now, again, there are a lot of other books you can you can read, and a little later I want to talk about reading for information versus reading for understanding, but all of this uh, tells us that you probably don't want to read every book the same way, and, and uh, either in this program or in another one, I'm going to talk about what Adler and Van Doren say about pre-reading or, or skimming. Guys, before we move on to number two, what do you think about that reading actively? Comments, questions? One of the passages of scripture that uh, has been in my, my heart and mind for many years is the first Psalm, Psalms 1. And there the uh, exhortation is to uh, delight yourself in the word. Uh, it says, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Well, that's kind of what you're talking about here. It's, it's, it's reading with the intent of gaining understanding and wisdom, and um, meditating is chewing on it. And in fact, someone has used or called attention to the fact that the, the word meditate is related to, I think, I'm saying it right, to the word that is for chewing the cud, as it were, yep. that, that you're chewing and, and swallowing and then bringing it back up again and chewing it uh, further. And uh, it's a very life-giving uh, process that you go through. And, and then, of course, the promise of it is what it says there, that he will be like the tree planted by the rivers of water that 
it bears fruit in its season and its leaves will not wither. And I just love this one. And whatsoever he does will prosper. Yeah, nice promise. You know, Dave, uh, so many of Christianity's great thinkers, Psalms was their favorite Old Testament book, true for Augustine, true for Luther, true for Calvin. And also in church history, uh, there was what we call praying through or reciting the Psalms. Uh, Sunday at my church, we went through one of the Psalms. The uh, rector, our pastor, leader of our church, he would read part of the verse, and then the congregation would read the second part of the verse. So this idea of reciting and praying through the Psalms. And of course, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about great books in a couple minutes. But uh, Adler would say a great book is a book you can't exhaust. You can never get to the end of it. And they, he would even say, if you've read a great book once, you, you really don't know it. A great book has to be, it's not something you take a bite. It's something you chew. It's something you, you swallow. And uh, what greater book than the Bible? The Bible is the greatest of the great books. I mean, I often say... Um, when you read through the book of Romans, did you feel at the end of it, I'm done with, I, I, I think I got Paul's point. I'll put that aside. No, um, scripture is the, the best example of a great book. And that is that scripture spoke to me when I was 20. It spoke to me when I was 30. It spoke to me when I was 40, when I was 50, when I was 60, sometimes the same way, sometimes differently. Uh, and so all these reading skills Dave, can be applied, as you said, to Scripture. Yeah. Joe, comment, question? Yeah, uh, yeah a comment. I appreciate what you said about um, asking questions of the author. Now, my first thought uh, is that, well, the author's not there to in person to, to answer your question, but uh, having done it a couple of times, can't say I've done it a lot, but having done it a few times, uh, putting the question down, Sometimes the author will answer that question in a little bit, or your thinking was kind of on, on a path or a theme that is appropriate for what the author is communicating. So uh, I kind of get a, a kick out of that. It's like, is this what's happening in our culture today? I might write that in there and then, oh, lo and behold, there, there it is. You know, it's further elaborated on a little bit later. No, that's, that's a great point. Uh, obviously a good writer, uh, is going to raise particular questions and ultimately offer some suggestions. But a lot of time, the, the reader, the only way the reader can really um, find out what's going on is if they are investigating, if they are thinking these, these types of questions. So, so uh, number one, read actively. And again, that's a challenge. Uh, but you'll benefit so much from it. Now, how about a second point? Again, this is Gene Edward Veith, uh, Lutheran, Lutheran educator, um, somebody I appreciate a great deal. His second uh, suggestion, his second area of advice is read worldviewishly. Read worldviewishly. He says this, quote, readers should pay attention to worldviews for two reasons to understand the material itself, and to develop a Christian response. To understand the material itself and develop a Christian response. And then he says this, 
the worldview of the author opens up the work's context, background, its, its place in history, all of which are essential for a full understanding. Carson, now one of the things we talk a lot about on uh, clear thinking is worldviews. And I think worldview thinking is such an important idea. In fact, I thought it was such an important idea. I wrote a book about that topic titled A World of Difference, subtitle Putting Christian Truth Claims to the Worldview Test. But what's a worldview? Well, we can think of it this way. If we think of a worldview conceptually, and you don't have to, and I'll, I'll tell you a little maybe other ways of thinking about a worldview, but philosophically speaking, if you think of it conceptually as a system, we could say that a worldview is a cluster of, of beliefs that a person holds about the most important issues of life. And of course, from a biblical point of view, from a Christian, Jewish Christian worldview, uh, your view of God is right at, the, right at the top. What is your view of God? Is it a theistic view? Is it a pantheistic view? Um, how about your view of the world or the cosmos? Is it created? Is it fine-tuned? Has it always been there? Is it intelligible? How about knowledge? How do people gain knowledge? Does it come through the senses, empiricism? Can you know things, some things in your mind, independent? How does knowledge, how is it gained? And then, of course, another critical area is ethics and values, uh, not only morality, but issues like beauty. So that would be a critical part of a worldview. And then, of course, what's your view of human beings? Are they good? Are they bad? Uh, have they evolved purely from natural processes? Do they bear the image of God as creatures? And then finally, even our history. And so I, I really appreciate what Vith says here. Um, pay attention to worldviews. Because if you begin to understand, as you're reading through, you, you should be asking, where's, where's this author coming from? What, what, what perspective am I essentially being given? And a lot of times uh, authors will be straightforward. Sometimes they're not. But you can pick up a worldview. Is, is it the worldview of secular naturalism? Is it the worldview of Christian theism? Is it the worldview of theistic Islam? Is there some kind of Eastern mystical worldview? Uh, you, you can pick those things up. And I appreciate Vith. He says, uh, you, uh, if you read worldviewishly, you do it for two reasons, to understand the material itself and to develop a Christian response. And so there is a, an evangelistic, apologetic uh, component uh, working in there. He also says, uh, the worldview of the author opens up the work's content background in its place of history. Now, what do Van Doren and Adler say about this? I think they heartily agree. In fact, uh, here's one quote from their book, uh, How to Read a Book. They say, do not say you agree, disagree, or suspend judgment until you can say, I understand. You know, in order to... Uh, in order to come to a decision, uh, maybe you'll suspend judgment. I, I understand him, but you know what? I don't know. I, I, I'm not persuaded, but you can't suspend judgment or you shouldn't suspend judgment or say you agree or disagree until you can say you understand. 
And appreciating the worldview will give you a great deal of understanding of where this, uh, where this is indeed uh, coming from. Guys, let me pause again. That's our second point, um, reading worldviewishly. Uh, for you guys, has that been helpful to you? Uh, Absolutely. I, uh, before I came to Reasons to Believe, this is back in 2001, I think it was, I had never really been exposed to the idea of worldviews. I mean, I'm sure, you know, a lot of my thinking may have fit into the, that category, but but I didn't have that sort of framework. And uh, being exposed to you, Ken, and also some of the books, there's a book by, uh, I've forgotten the name of some of these books that uh, speak about worldview. I think Ron Nash was yeah. one who wrote some books on worldview. Worldviews in conflict. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, anyway, those, I, the thing that really helped me was, being able to have that framework so that when you go and read a book, you now have these categories that you can, that help you evaluate what it is that you're reading in a way that is much more significant than you would just reading it and not having that framework in mind. And I think too, Dave, uh with that great point, I think if you have these categories, you know, God, world, yes, uh, knowledge, ethics, values, uh, history, you can, sometimes it helps me to be more accurate in the way I depict other people's worldviews, because I'm, I'm trying to think about them in such a way that I can put them in the, in the categories. Joe, how about you? Um, what do you think about this idea of reading worldviewishly? Yeah, well, I appreciate it. And I appreciate Dave's comment. Mine would be the same, but just to add a little bit, uh, when I do pick up a book, I have that in the back of my mind, maybe in the front of my mind. I want to know where the author is coming from, even though they 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 might be identified as a Christian author. I don't take it for granted. I want to see yeah. that worldview come through. Yeah, and, and I think, uh, you know, we have to be very discerning. I mean, that um, being a careful thinker, clear thinking, reflecting that idea in a biblical context as being discerning. Um, you know, you, you want to put things to the test. Hey, is this guy giving me an orthodox view of Christianity or is it, uh, you know, is it gotten off the off the track? Yeah, very good. All right, let me introduce the third principle from, again, Gene Edward V. Uh, this is a worldview, this is, excuse me, a world article uh, entitled Flex the Brain, World Magazine, goes back 20 years. Uh, V's third point is read quality books, read quality books. Now, there's a, there's a couple of things I want to, I want to point out here. Um, you can read different you can read for different purposes. For example, sometimes you read things for information. You're just trying to get the facts. Uh, you could also read for entertainment or for amusement. But that third type of reading, reading for insight or wisdom or understanding. So are you reading for facts? Are you reading for amusement? Are you reading for a depth of understanding? That third one is very different. In fact, Saturday, I went to a 
Salvation Army thrift store with my wife, and she looks at clothes, and I look at books, and we <laughs> we get hungry enough, we meet and go out and have a have a sandwich. Anyway, um, I found a book. Uh, by the way, I almost every time I go to a bookstore, I find a C.S. Lewis book. Uh, though I didn't on Saturday, one of the first times I hadn't. And of course, the reason why you find a lot of C.S. Lewis books is because he has possibly a half a billion books in print. Imagine, wow. You think Lewis ever, ever could conceive that at some point there'd be a half a billion books in print written by him? Well, I did find a book on uh, Legends of the National Basketball Association. And uh, there were 12 of them, and uh, some of them were very early, George Mikan, uh, Bob, Bob Pettit, and I was like, wow, I, I never saw them play. Then it had Wilt Chamberlain, Jerry West, Elgin Baylor. I thought, whoa, that's my era. And, you know, what was funny is I was, I was reading sometimes for facts, sometimes for, for amusement, in the sense that I just love, you know, these early basketball players. But the question here is, what are you reading for? And when Veith and uh, Adler Van Doren talk about quality books or good books or great books, they're really not talking necessarily for facts or amusement, although you, although you could have facts and amusement mixed with understanding. But when they talk about quality books or, or great books, they're talking about something that's going to teach you uh, an insight about the meaning of life and your purpose. So it's going to be heavy on, on worldview implications. Here's what Veith says. Uh, again, point three, read quality books. He says, if the larger purpose of reading is to exercise our minds and our imaginations, you can see Lewis' uh, influence there, and further to develop a distinctly Christian mind and imagination, some books are more helpful than others. Good books will be more helpful than bad or mediocre books. So why am I reading this book? Nothing wrong with reading for to get amusement, entertainment, amusement. Nothing wrong with it. Uh, sometimes when I read sports books, I'm just looking for statistics so I can I could buttress my, my arguments with Joe and with Fuzz, uh, et cetera. But a lot of times when I'm reading the classics, I, I really want to develop a depth of uh, understanding. And so Adler says, great books, they're inexhaustible. That's what defines a great book. Uh, you can read it multiple times. You can read it early in your life. You can read it midlife. You can read it late life and you never get to the end of it. And every reading you do confirms not only what you learned, but you also pick up something new. There've been a number of books like that for me. Probably the most important one, of course, would be scripture. Um, you know, the couple of weeks ago, I just, in the morning, I got up and I read the entire book of Philippians. Not very long, took me about 15 minutes to do it. But boy, it hit me, hit me really hard. And I've been doing something different, by the way. Uh, I'm getting a little bit older. My eyesight isn't quite what it's used to be. Sometimes I will read audiobooks. I have my book in hand, a physical book, and I'm 
reading through line by line, but I'm listening it to, to be read. Great example of that was a recent reading I did of the Confessions by St. Augustine, which, by the way, was voted in, in uh, among some scholars as, uh, other than scripture, maybe the most influential Christian book in history. But what I loved about this audio version, and again, I have my physical book of the Confessions, and, and this person who was reading, the narrator, he knew the language, he, and I thought he did a great job of reading it, I think, the way Augustine intended. So there, you know, there are things you can do. I have a, a commute to work. It's, it's at least an hour, uh, sometimes longer. And um, amazingly, I can navigate in traffic and also listen to uh, various books. Now, what would, uh, what would Adler and Van Doren say? I think they would completely agree. Uh, here's a quote again from uh, How to Read a Book. They say, you will not improve as a reader if all you read are books that are well within your capacity. You must tackle books that are beyond you, or as we have said, books that over your head. Only books of that sort will make you stretch your mind, and unless you stretch, you will not learn. Now, Adler and Van Doren would call this analytical reading. Analytical reading is it's heavy-duty reading. It's what Veith said, asking questions, trying to come to a, a deeper understanding. Now, I recommend a lot of books to lots of people, students, family, friends. And a lot of times they'll come back to me and say, Ken, that book was over my head. And my response is, good. You want to read, you're only going to learn from a book that is over your head. Now, a lot of times what they'll tell me is, Ken, but you don't understand, I have about 20 books that I've read about half or a quarter, and then I put it down, go to, I get a new book and read a quarter, put it down, get a new book, you know, so Amazon's getting richer, but you've got this set of books. Well, we'll talk about this other topic in another show. But uh, Adler and Van Doren would say, you don't want to analytically read every book. Uh, you want to engage in, in pre-reading, skimming to decide whether this is a book that I want to put that kind of investment. But you know, if you're being challenged, that's a good thing. Don't feel bad when a book is challenging you because you know that's, that's how you're learning. That's, that's how you're growing. Guys, what's your experience there? Have you gone through that syndrome of reading a quarter? Have you ever, have you ever felt discouraged by, hey, this is more than I can, I can chew on? And by the way, let me tell you straight out. Over the last few years, I've tried to read mostly classics, and I've had to slow down my reading. I'm not mm -hmm. reading as many books because these books are challenging. There's uh, one other aspect of it that has been very meaningful to me, helpful. And that is when you talk about quality books, uh, it's not only the quality of the thinking, but it's the quality of the writing that some writers write very poorly and you stumble over what they say and it doesn't run smoothly. And, and then there's others. I mean, Lewis, of course, is an amazing stylist. Tolkien writes in a way that is just amazing. And, and the effect that it's had on me is it's helped me to become a better writer. Mm. 
I, I, you know, you, you get so engaged in the way that they communicate and the way that they say things that it then affects the way that you write. When I have to write something for reasons to believe, when I have to write something for JPL, I, uh, I find that I'm influenced by the style that they have, you know, that I've absorbed from them. So that's a, that's an additional aspect of this, as well as of course what's the content, and uh, you know what's the message that they're trying to communicate. You know, Dave, in a real sense, they are your teachers. Yes. You know, it it maybe you didn't go to Oxford and hear them lecture, but through their books, you, they're they're your teachers. Uh, uh, Joe, you're a writer and an editor. What what? What are some of your thoughts about this? All I want to say is when you ask the question, have you ever uh, gone through a quarter of a book or whatever? It's not have I, but how many times have I done it as opposed to finish the book? So, yes, that's a that's a common problem as well. You know, when I have people come and visit me here at RTB, uh, come into my office, uh, a question a lot of them will have, and I have, I have, I think the last count I had here was right at 3,000. And I think there's 2,000 at home. So somewhere around 5,000. I don't spend a lot of time counting them anymore, uh, too many of them. Uh, but I, the question that a lot of people have when they come in and meet me and see my little library here, they'll say, have you read all of those books? And I can say, well, I haven't analytically read them all. That is, I haven't plunged through page one to the end asking you know, analytical questions, but I've read from all of them. Some of them uh, I determined that I was going to skim. We can't talk about that now. We'll make that another program. But yeah, I've read from all of these books, but I haven't been able to give the attention. Uh, you can't read the confessions fast. Uh, it, it, it just kind of pulls you, pulls you down. Uh, Joe, I, I wanna I wanna give some uh, references again because I think some of these points that Veith makes are are really, really good. Uh, let me give some recommendations. Um, again, Edie Hirsch has the book, The Dictionary of Cultural Literacy. That's great for lifelong learning, what every American should know. Let me give you another book. It is uh, the Britannica Concise Encyclopedia. It's a one volume. It's a fat uh, one volume, but it's a summary of most of the articles in the Encyclopedia Britannica in abbreviated form. So I like to break that open. I, you know, and if I want to read deeper, I'll go to Britannica. I appreciate Britannica. That was uh, Mortimer Adler had a had a large role in that company. We've also talked about how to read a book by Mortimer Adler and Charles Van Doren. I mentioned my book, uh, A World of Difference, which looks at uh, worldviews. And with Gene Edward Veith, again, spelled V-E-I-T-H, you can look up his article from World Magazine, November 2003, entitled Flex the Brain. Go on Amazon. He has a lot of books, but one that I'm going to recommend entitled Loving God with All of Your Mind, subtitle, Thinking as a Christian in the Postmodern World. So lots of good sources there. Wonderful. 
Thank you for that. I just want to add, you mentioned your article at the beginning that's on the RTB website. If uh, you go to uh, Ken's blog channel, which is reflections at reasons.org, and just uh, search home libraries can set a child's mind on fire. That's from May 18th, 2021. So we'll add that article as well. All right, Ken, thank you for, for that. I'd be interested to hear from readers who have read these books that you're recommending and let us know your thoughts. So you yeah. can reach out to Ken via Twitter at RTB underscore K samples. We'll be glad to read your comment here. So uh, take a look and uh, let us know. Get clear thinking sent to your device by subscribing to the Reasons to Believe podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and most podcast services. For Ken Samples and Dave Rogstad, this is Joe Aguirre with a reminder that the goal of apologetics is not victory, but truth. Thanks for listening and join us for the next edition of Clear Thinking. Thank you for listening. Your prayers and financial support are reaching people with reasons for faith in Jesus Christ, our Creator and Savior. To allow Reasons to Believe programs like this to continue, make your gift today at Reasons.org.